Hello and welcome to the Achieve Your Goals podcast, the show that empowers you to wake up to your full potential and achieve your biggest goals and dreams. I am your host, Hal Elrod, and I invite you to join us each week as we share actionable strategies to take your life to the next level, as well as interview world-class experts and entrepreneurs who have achieved extraordinary goals themselves, and we ask them to give you a peek behind the curtain and teach you exactly what you need to do to do the same. Ready? Here we go. J.H. Jordan Harbinger, man. What's new and exciting? New and exciting, man. Well, that's kind of the point of the show is everything is new, right? (laughs) Everything's new. The Jordan Harbinger show is brand new. It's the show that I've been doing for 11 and a half years, only now I'm starting over, which is always like, oh, did you mean to do... People ask me the funniest questions. So what was your strategy behind that? And I'm like, I got fired. (laughs) The strategy is feeding myself and keeping my house. <laughs> why why would you have left a, a branded show, The Art of Charm, that, you know, had 4 million downloads a month? Jordan, why would you do that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I like a challenge. You know, I like a challenge. <laughs> You're like against my will. That's why I would do it. I would do it because yes. I was forced to do it. That sounds about right. Man, man. No, it's uh, crazy. So uh, how about today? Anything new and exciting today? Like any fun plans later after I'm sure the highlight you've been all morning just journaling about what we were going to talk, you know, in, exactly. in, in your gratitude journal? That's mostly been it. Yeah. Yeah. And then additionally, I realize now that I'm like full blown workaholic, but I love doing it. So I guess, I don't know, can you call yourself a workaholic if you actually enjoy it or is it only when it starts causing problems? It's like an addiction. And I can tell you from the perspective of going through cancer with that realization, and it's that it's a workaholic is only a problem if it causes you to neglect other areas of your life. That's my opinion or my take on it. Yeah. Yeah. That was my convincing of myself is I loved my work. So, you know, I'm like, yeah, of course I'm a workaholic. I love my work. It's my contribution to the world. And what I realized is, well, there were two things. Family being the biggest one that I was lying to myself. You know, we all, most of us would say our, you know, our family or our whatever, you know, if somebody has a family, has kids, it's like, that's your number one, you know, their number one in our life priority. But my schedule didn't reflect that, you know, and I didn't realize that until I was going through that cancer and going, wow, you know, reevaluating everything that, oh, why am I working all the time and squeezing in an hour here, an hour there for the family if the family's really a priority that doesn't line up? And the second thing, and I think this is true for most entrepreneurs, and this one might be one for you to identify or consider, but uh, it's the, uh, I realized that most of us, us workaholics, we are addicted to productivity and we sacrifice our health for productivity. And an example of that is, let me ask you, Jordan, a kind of rhetorical question. But if you're tired, what's your body telling you you should probably do? Take a nap. Yeah, but we don't do that. We drink coffee, (laughs) right? Right. You know, so just little things like that. And I realized, wow, I value productivity above health unconsciously. And my actions, you know, show that. So anyway, so yeah, so that's it. So workaholic, but as long as you're doing it healthy and you're taking care of your body and your relationships, then I think that it's all good. Yeah, I, I was going to make a joke there. And it's like, when when you're tired, what does your body say you should do? And it's like, email. Or like, when you're tired, <laughs> what does your body say you should do? And it's just like, yeah, drink coffee in order to stave yeah. off, you know, all this, all this fight the urge to actually rest. On the other hand, you know, I do see people, you, you know why this happens? There's a lot of folks that feel social pressure to do the workaholic thing or or they feel social pressure to do the oh family life work balance thing. So you see these people in their bios essentially like god family country you know speaker author. <laughs> and then you're like okay but never goes to church, never sees his kids <laughs> goes on vacation without him all the time yeah. like with his friends and then is also workaholic. And I'm like um but I I don't 
I'm not judging those people. What I'm saying is I totally get why they write that. Because if you write, I value my work above everything else. Yes, I also have two kids. It doesn't look good, right? And you wouldn't write that because you'd know it would sound ridiculous. And yet that's the way that many of us act. I don't have kids. So me being a workaholic and I work with my wife. So it's not like everybody where you never see your wife. Nope. See her all the time. Hang out all the time. Now, the difference is that often we're in the same room working and we do a lot of other fun things and travel together a lot so we can get away with it. But once we have kids, man, is my life going to change? I already know it. Yeah. 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 Call me for the the lowdown on how to do it wrong and then how to do it right. So you don't right, do it exactly. wrong. Yeah, exactly. It's like, Step one, get multiple life-threatening occurrences <laughs> slash diseases. Step two, dot, 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 profit, uh, yeah. speak all over the country. Yeah, I mean, look, you're an amazing guy. Not everybody can die and then come back to life and then yeah. rest on their laurels of living <laughs> for a while and then get another thing and then come back from that. Yeah, exactly. That's what my business partner, Honoré, was like. Um, she said, you know, God orchestrated the perfect plan for you to be able to impact the world because if all you had was this morning ritual initially... You know, I don't think any of those TV shows would have interviewed you or anything. It's like, oh, yeah, you have morning ritual, blah, blah, blah. It's like, but you died. So it was really interesting. And then that allowed you to get this message that changed lives. And I was like, yeah, I never really thought about that. But yeah, that's, a, that's one way to look at it. Yeah, I agree. And look, I'm planning my life now. This is relevant. I want people to know that. I'm planning my life now so that when I do have a family and my priorities change, that I'm able to do the things that I want to do. So people are always like, oh, you know what you should do? You should speak more because you're kind of good at it and you should do a book and then you can go on a big speaking tour and then you can make a living speaking. And I'm like, no, thanks. I like recording my show at home in my freaking underwear. underwear yeah. <laughs> and it's not that I don't like traveling or speaking. I love doing those things. But I realize if I work for years building that as my platform and then I have kids and I want to stay home, it's like, well, sorry, you make your money speaking on stages and you got to bring these boxes of books with you or whatever you know the speaker life is. And I hear about that. And a lot of people who've achieved a certain level of success in that, they're able to balance things out. Like, I think you're probably able to balance things out. But I know for me, I would have that and the show and I would just never have time. So I'm like, if I have to lean into one thing, I want to lean into the thing where the kids are off from school for the summer so we can go to Asia for three months and I can just go, great, I have to bring this little box that has a microphone in it and some acoustic panels and record the show in the house we rented and upload it to the internet instead of, oh crap, I've got to be in Albuquerque tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if they bring speakers to Albuquerque or not, but yeah. They do if you're talking about meth. Uh, <laughs> Hi, Albuquerque. To all our Albuquerque so, listeners, we... That was terrible. Oh, that was horrible. Uh, no. So by the way, so today there's two things I want to talk about. And for anybody listening, wondering, okay, where's this going today? There's really two things I want to chat about today with you, Jordan. Number one is starting over after losing it all. You just had a, you know, I mean, obviously losing it all is a figure of speech, I guess, but you lost quite a bit recently and you're having to build it back up. And you went from being on top, if you will, one of the top podcasters in the world, literally, that like sounds like hyperbole, but I mean... You had, you know, 4 million downloads a month with The Art of Charm. And uh, I don't want to tell the whole story, but, you know, you lost that. And now you're having to start over with The Jordan Harbinger Show. So that's the first thing I want to talk about. I mean, you told me the story the other night and I was like, dude, you have to tell this <laughs> on the podcast. Like, this is it's hard to even believe. Incredible story. And then the other thing, I was like, you know, we got you on the show. I want to talk to... I know we have a lot of listeners that have expressed like, oh, I'd love to host a podcast someday or whatever. So I want to, toward the end of the show, I'd love to just pick your brain on how to become one of the best podcasters in the world because... There are only a few podcasters that could actually talk about that and have the credibility to do so. I'm down. Let's do it. Cool. So talk about what happened. So you were, just to lay the groundwork, so you're, you're hosting sure. the Jordan Harbinger Show. You guys are averaging around 4 million downloads a month, which I've been on for like four years. I don't think we are halfway there. So I mean, it's incredible. 
and you've got a couple business partners in the business and then things changed. So take over there. Yeah. So I was hosting The Art of Charm. I now do The Jordan Harbinger Show for people that are like confused and going, wait, I thought now you do The Jordan Harbinger Show. I do. But back in the day, I did The Art of Charm. And by the day, I mean up until a few months ago. And I ran that show for 11 and a half years. And then I negotiated an amicable split with my partners because we had a bunch of different views in the vision. I really was so sick of the dating thing. I was sick of like, learn how to pick up chicks. And I really wanted to branch off and do a different brand. And there was a lot of internal disagreement and some negativity and just cultural stuff that I wanted to get away from. And we negotiated this amicable split in December. And I will just leave it at this in that it didn't quite work out in the way that it was supposed to. And in the ensuing legal back and forth, which is still ongoing, I'm outside the company and I took almost the entire team with me and started the Jordan Harbinger show. And that show now I'm rebuilding brick by brick. So you know when people go like, what would you do if you had to start all over again? I no longer have to worry about that being a hypothetical. (laughs) I'm doing it right now. And honestly, a lot of people, and I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs about this, friends of mine, and universally the sentiment is, you will rebuild this, it will be faster, and this is gonna be the best thing that ever happened to you. And I'm like, yeah, I can't wait for that time, because right now (laughs) it's hardcore grind, and you know, I'm not taking a salary for a certain period of time. My team, a lot of people are working for free. We have a lot of volunteers. We have a lot of cash that we are making going into other ventures so that we can, you know, playing long game instead of just like pay this now. It's like reinvest in the business in this way. And that's been really, really rough, but also kind of amazing because this is not like the first time I started the business. When I started The Art of Charm 11 and a half years ago, things were much harder. We didn't have a plan. We didn't know what went into it. I didn't have skills. I had no idea whether or not I was going to be good at this. I didn't know what the limits of my talent were. I didn't know what the business could achieve. There's all kinds of things like that that I just had no idea. And now I have a pretty clear roadmap. So it's scary starting over. It's a bummer in a lot of ways. And yet now, just a few months in, after losing all kinds of sleep and having anxiety over the whole thing and all this legal back and forth and stress from that, I actually am very excited about the show, the Jordan Harbinger show, the new show and the new business in a way that I never was excited about for The Art of Charm ever in the history of the company. And is that just because this is now you have total creative control, you get to make the show what authentically feels yours? There's that. And also my team had a lot of... I'm trying to think of what I can do here. I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, you know, from the old company because it's like, it's not very cool. But even though there's legal back and forth, let's just say that the environment, the working environment for my team was not ideal. And a lot of people on the team consistently reiterated the idea that, look, I'm only here because you're here. You know, this is annoying. This thing happened and this other thing happened. And so as soon as I left, I was able to just take like everyone with me and and I didn't, I didn't have to poach them. You know, this was a scenario that worked out really well in terms of taking the talent with me on my departure. And that was, that was really great um, for me because when you get fired, or pushed out or whatever of an organization or you leave voluntarily, you when you whenever you find yourself on the outside of anything, you only have either your talent and your skills or your talent and your skills and your network. And that's if you have a network, right? So for me, I, I happen to just honestly, in many ways, kind of get lucky because I practiced what I preached with the old content, with the networking and the relationship development and the things we teach on the Jordan Harbinger show, 
I was practicing that for 11 and a half years. You know, you and I were friends before that. Uh, it's not like you only hear from me when I'm promoting my new latest book or something like that. <laughs> you know, I, I'm always creating and maintaining relationships. It's the way that I like to live. I know you're the same way. I give without the expectation or attachment to getting anything in return. That stuff is all proven really important. And I, and I remember thinking, well, this is great. You know, I'm always helping other people, being generous, not expecting something in return. Now, here's the trick. When you behave like that, in the back of your head, somewhere you're thinking, I will never need to ask this person for a favor because <laughs> you're kind of thinking, you're never thinking like my life could disintegrate at any moment. And it'll be great to have this safety net around me. You're just thinking, this is how I like to live. Well, let me tell you, I am thanking my lucky stars right now that I spent years and years and a decade and change building and maintaining relationships because when I was found myself outside my old company and having to start the Jordan Harbinger show from scratch, I was able to call hundreds of people for help. And if I didn't have that, oh my, man, I'd be... I would be in a completely different place right now. And not just emotionally, but the Jordan Harbinger show the first month got 1.3 million downloads. And that's a lot for a show that is brand new and has over a thousand reviews in iTunes. It's incredible. And that wasn't because I like had my mailing list. I didn't have my mailing list. I didn't have my website. I didn't have my Twitter account. I didn't have my face. I had to start everything over. And I thought I was completely effed, man. I really did. So for anybody listening, right, I'm going to kind of go into Jordan's psychology right now or invite him to share his psychology because, you know, you've probably heard the adage, it's not what happens to you in life, right? It is how you respond to what happens to you. And I'm a big believer in what I call emotional invincibility, which is the idea that when you learn how to manage your emotions as effectively as possible, right, you can become almost emotionally invincible where no matter what happens to you, you're able to interpret it and manage it. And I'm not saying that you're emotionally invincible. In fact, I mean, we've talked about how hard this has been for you. So to the point that you're comfortable sharing, I guess first, let's start with what were your biggest, like when this happened and this went down or when you hit like the low point in the last few months before the Jordan Harbinger show started and had 1.4 million downloads as you were showless, right? You lost Art of Charm. You got no show. You got nothing that you'd worked for 11 years to build. What were your biggest fears? So first of all, I went through part of like the seven stages of grief. Have you heard of this? I'm yeah. sure everyone has. But the first thing is shock and denial. And at first I was like, oh, wait, well, no, this can't. I mean, we're going to figure out something and these guys won't do this. And that would be dumb for the business. But then, and then it's like, oh, crap, they're doing all this stuff. And it's not based on logic. It's based on like, you know. This is like a divorce, not like a let's separate this. We already worked out the logical deal. Now it's like this emotional explosion. And I was like, wow. And then I felt really bad about it. And I was beating myself up about it. Like, oh, what could I have done differently? And then I talked with a ton of people in my network. And they were like, uh, no, this is... And, and again, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus. But it was kind of like, hey, Jordan, stop beating yourself up. This is not you. And I went, okay, are you sure? Because I'm one of those people who's like, what role have I played in this? That's like, a, that's one of my first questions always. Yeah. Because I, that's the thing I can control. So if something really bad happens, I want to know how I can make that never happen again. And it's not never have business partners because everyone's a jerk face. Like that's <laughs> not the answer to this. You know, just be alone and have no friends. Like that's not how you manage these things. After that, it was kind of like, this and I'm doing the stages out of order, I think. But after that, it was like, I'm never going to be back on top. I was on top of the mountain. No one's going to respect me. Everyone's going to laugh. There's people that are glad this happened. And I'm like, I'm sad about all this. And what about my audience? I served them and they're going to be like, you know, now I have to build it again. It's all sad. 
And then I kind of realized, wait a second, everyone I'm speaking with that has been through something like this, they all say, this is going to be the best thing that's ever happened to you. It sucks right now. Totally normal. You're going to be able to rebuild it. And these are people that have done this and that know me well, et cetera. So it's not just like your mom saying, you'll be fine, honey. (laughs) It's like, it's like, you know, people who've lost their hundred million dollar company because of X, Y, Z. And they're like, no, you don't realize this is a good thing. And I'm thinking, well, if you lost that and you're happy about it, and it's not just some philosophical argument like, no, I have more time for my kids because I got fired. Like, that's not what these people are saying. They're saying, I'm happier than I've ever been for, on every front, and this will be the best thing for you. And I realized, you know, I wanted to leave the company. I wanted to leave the Art of Charm. I was unhappy there for so long. My team was unhappy there for so long. I wanted to leave for years, but I would never have had the guts because of the sunk cost. And I will tell people all the time about sunk cost fallacy, but when you're applying it to yourself and it's 11 years of working on this business and da 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 it's pretty hard to go, yeah, you know what, I should just cut ties and start this thing over from scratch. You know, what could be the harm? You're worried that it's not going to work out. So I lost a lot of sleep, man. I was like freaking out. I was worried that this wasn't going to work. I remember like crying on the phone to my parents and calling tons of my friends. And I'm still reaching out to my network all the time, almost every single day, not even almost, every single day to discuss, get wisdom, see how I can help other people now that I'm in a different sort of phase of business, see how other people react to this. And you know what was also really scary, Hal, was a lot of people say, well, you're going to find out who your friends are. And when people say that, they don't mean you're going to be pleasantly surprised by all these friends you didn't know you had, right? When you hear, uh, when you're watching ESPN or something and an athlete says, you find out who your true friends are, they mean they're broken alone. They don't mean the community huddled around them, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. That's what I was worried about too. But I'll tell you, I am very fortunate in that I actually did have that that experience in that everybody was like, let me introduce you to five people who can help you. Or, hey, you've never heard from me, but I've been listening to your show for a while. When I heard what happened, this happened. So I want to volunteer for you for X number of hours a week to do high quality writing that you can use on the website. So the things like the worksheets that we create for every episode of the Jordan Harbinger show so that people can apply what the guests are talking about in a concrete fashion, there's worksheets for every episode. Those are all done by volunteers. There are blog posts that are done for the content creation. There's SEO that's being done on the website by professional firms that said, hey, look, like you, like the show, I can devote X number of hours per week for certain me and certain staff members to work on this for you as sort of a a payback, which I didn't need before and would have said no to. And now I realize, wow, okay, I am having friends and allies pop out of the woodwork because the mission is bigger than just me. If that, I know that sounds cliche, but that's the reason. Sure. Well, I mean, I think that the big lesson, and to me, this is like arguably one of the most important lessons, period, in life, in business, period. And that is your focus on adding value for the people and building your relationships, right? And being a person that looks to add value without expecting things in return. And, uh, you know, Harvey McKay has a book, Dig Your Well Before You're Thirsty. Yes. And uh, yeah, and it's that, what do you call it? Relationship capital, I think. What do you call it? Yeah, social capital social is what capital. we call it. But, but I right. use the phrase, dig the well before you're thirsty all the time because yeah. that's exactly what ended up happening was I was digging this well. But here's the thing. When you're digging the well, 
you're never thinking I'm going to be thirsty later, yeah, right? Sure. Or if this is in case I'm thirsty. And that's usually the reason most people don't bother to dig the well. I was just going to say, that's why they don't dig the well. Cause they're like, life's good now. It's going to be good forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, Oh, how would this ever blow up in my face? How would this ever backfire? How would this ever happen? Da-da-da. And I totally get that logic because I had the same logic, which was how can anything ever go wrong? The difference wasn't, oh, I foresaw that I might have a problem one day and then I might need to do it. No, I just enjoyed connecting with people, connecting people with each other. Practicing what I preach was really important to me, so I was always keen to walk the walk. And then when I was thirsty, I was like, whoa, good thing I took my own advice. Holy moly. You know, that was really just a stroke of luck. It wasn't this Jordan and pat myself on the back. I have so much foresight. I did it for other reasons. And those reasons just happened to be the reasons I recommended to other people. And it just happened to be that I really need this, these networks and connections uh, right now. And that was the reason. So I don't want to say like, see, look, I knew this was all the right time. This was going to work out great and everything's fine. That was not the, that was not the case. This was not the case at all. Yeah. It just happened to be fortunately doing what you're supposed to do. And that's why now I recommend it even more to everyone because people go, well, you know, maybe as soon as I get my website launched, I'll start this network. No, you need to do this now because one, it is really planting a tree. There's no better time to plant a tree than you know 20 years ago and the next best time is right now. But in this case, there's no reason you should ever wait to create and maintain relationships because it's always about time. There's no way to do it faster. Um, well, I should say there's ways to do it faster and better, but there's no way to do it when you need it. It's like having a spare tire in the trunk of your car. If you don't have it when you need it, you are screwed. It's too late. That is the yeah. end of the, you know, then it's too late officially. That is the hard binary line. Yeah. So if you started connecting with people yesterday, and today you find yourself in trouble, some of those people might help you. But if you started connecting with people two years ago and you find yourself in trouble and you never know when that's gonna happen, then you'll be like, oh my gosh, thank goodness I did this right. And it's such a minimal time investment in, to maintain relationships and it's so worth it to create them that now I, I really don't understand other than pure delusion why people don't do this. Yeah, and if you're listening to this, I mean, literally write it down. Just make one of your top three, top five, maybe number one goal, ongoing goals should be to add as much value as possible to the lives of, I mean, you get to choose, you know, for me, it's every person I come in contact with. For you, it might be your family or your friends or your company or your colleagues or whatever. But again, what Jordan's talking about and what I, you know, I try to talk about this a lot, which is just, you want to become known as someone who is a giver, who is always contributing, adding value and whatever ways work for you. You know, if you've got money, you donate money to charity or whatever. If you, you know, just be a good person, right? If you give time, give money, give knowledge, give resources. In fact, and I'm curious if you have a book recommendation on this, Jordan, as a resource to go deeper in the topic. Mine is Love is the Killer App by Tim Sanders. That is the book that open my eyes to not only why I should add value for other people and why that's such an important focus, but it gave me the kind of the how to do it. We obviously mentioned Harvey McKay's book, Dig Your Well Before You're Thirsty. Do you have any uh, book recommendation on you know something that really impacted you in terms of building relationships? Yeah. So this is kind of a cheesy cliche, but it's super legit. Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. No, it's great. People always kind of laugh at this because one, it's, oh, it's like 100 years old or 80 years old or something like this. 1937, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know, do the math. It's definitely not a new book. And all the examples in there are like, 
John was a typewriter salesman. <laughs> and it's like, well, no wonder, you know, but it, this is probably like the height of typewriter markets in, uh, uh, you know, worldwide. So it's a really good, it's the equivalent of like, John sells routers for Cisco. Yeah. You know, it's like that, that thing. And so I, but when you read that, you read these basic concepts and you go, ah, this is all it's so elementary. But if you read it and you go, what part of these have I implemented in my life on a consistent basis, like this guy, Dale Carnegie has, the answer is pretty much nothing sure, for most sure. of us. Yeah. Right. It's all like, Oh, be interested, uh, be interesting by being interested in other people. And it's like, ah, I've heard that before. And it's like, great. How interested are you in other people on a regular basis? And they're like, well, I'm really busy right now. So, you know, <laughs> so you hear that kind of self-absorbed. <laughs> yeah. A little bit here and there. And so I'm really a big fan of that type of, of book. And you listed some of those as well. And you know, frankly, there's a lot of great books about networking. It's not about the knowledge, it's about the practice. And a lot of people are reading books on networking while skipping an event, like a get together or a conference or something like that, because they don't need anything or they're not going to that conference because they're not launching their book until next year. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so you're going to show up next year and everyone's going to go, hi, who are you? And you're going to go here, buy my book <laughs> or yeah, I'll go to your conference, but you have to buy a thousand copies of my book. Who are you again? Sorry, no thanks. Yeah. You know, that is, you have to practice these things. And yet people are more than content with going, yeah, 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 I know all that, but I don't need anything right now. And you have to give without the expectation of anything in return, because if you don't, you're not going to see the majority of the opportunities that are over the horizon. You know, you can't see the things that you're going to get from other people if you're just looking for what you can get from them. And this isn't even some sort of like, complex, metaphysical BS thing. It's that you don't know how you're going to connect with other people of all your, you're, so, you're self-limiting. If you're just thinking, okay, I'm only looking for people that need websites because I'm a web designer, then you're going to miss the person who needs a website that happens to be friends with the person who's looking for a dental hygienist recommendation in your neighborhood. Because you're not going to connect with that person because you're just thinking, why should I connect with them? They don't need a website. And then you find out they're looking for a dental hygienist recommendation. You refer them to your dentist. And through that conversation, they find out what you do. And then a couple of days later, hey, my friend actually needs websites. Send them your portfolio. And in case in point, when I moved to LA, I had a, this is years ago. This is pre-Uber. I had a toothache and I didn't have a dentist and I didn't have dental insurance because I was like 25 and nobody gives a crap about dental insurance at that age. Yeah. And I had a toothache and I was like, oh gosh, what am I going to do? I got to find a dentist where I can walk to because cabs don't even show up in LA and I don't have a car yet because I moved from New York. So in desperation, I posted on Facebook because all the dentists around me were like, look, I don't accept new patients or people without insurance, et cetera. So I posted on Facebook and some random person that I've never met before in my entire life was like, hey, my aunt is a dentist right around there. Do you want me to have her open early, maybe tomorrow, and take care of you? And I said, yeah, that would be great. <laughs> so he goes, great, let me make a call. He did it, set it up, got my toothache taken care of. And I said, hey, man, anything I can do for you, just let me know. And he goes, well, you know, I don't know if you need web design. I, I noticed you have a great website, but here's my portfolio. And I said, you know, I don't really need this, but I'll keep my ear to the ground for you. And sure enough, the next week or so, not even, I think, uh, a female entrepreneur friend of mine was like, hey, I keep having these designer flake. Do you know anyone? You have a great website. And I said, we do our website in-house, but I got this portfolio from this guy. I've never worked with him, but he seems like a really nice person. 
He helped me find a dentist. You know, he seems like a nice guy on the phone. He seems personable. I know he's got capacity because he's a freaking barista right now. So if you like the portfolio, <laughs> let me know and I'll make an intro. I made that intro and this has been his full-time job making websites for other entrepreneurs via this woman that he partnered with. So he got a job, he got a full-time gig for like 70, 80 grand a year doing what he wanted to do after being a barista because he helped me find a dentist on Facebook. I love that story, so, man. You can't find the opportunities because they're over the horizon. And it's like 90% of opportunities are over the horizon. You know, I find that I got, I got like a book deal through a friend of mine who's an author because he came on my show promoting his book. So his agent reached out to reach someone else and I gave her that introduction. She's like, what about you? You should write a book. And I was like, oh, uh, yeah, good point. <laughs> I should do that. And so I started talking with people that way. And I thought like, what an interesting way to get something like this, to have something like this happen is just to give other people things and then suddenly the connection gets made. You can't just look for what you're looking for because you'll ignore the 99% of other people that could maybe help you, but it's one or two degrees of separation. So you have no idea and they don't know either. But if you do connect with all those people because you're willing to help them, and usually that involves connecting them with each other. So you'll, you'll find all these different opportunities. And, and that, that's, that's something that I think is a chief objection from a lot of people as they go, fine, if I help everyone, I'm not gonna be able to run my own business. I'm gonna go broke. So you have to do it in a scalable way. Yeah. And what I mean by that is, you're not, if you're a graphic designer, you're not just doing free graphic design consulting for everybody who needs it. You might have a huge network of other people and then you find out that your friend who invests in cryptocurrency needs a CPA so he doesn't go to freaking prison for tax evasion and you know a CPA that specializes in crypto stuff and they're in your circle. You connect those two people. You don't have to make the website for them. You don't have to do something that requires your special knowledge. And that's another reason that I think people get stopped is they go, well, I'm a graphic designer, so I can only help people who need graphics. Or I'm a college student, I don't have any money, so I can't help anyone. I don't have any special skills. Your network is unique to you. That's what you're using as a value proposition, not your skill set. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And that book I referenced earlier, Love is the Killer App, he gives like three or four ways to add value. He says, share your knowledge, share your network, and share your compassion. I think those were the main three, right? Which is just be a human, be there for people, your compassion, your network, right? Which is what you're talking a lot about, just introducing people, connecting people. And that's my favorite way to add value because that's actually usually the easiest, like the least amount of effort, time, you know, or energy you have to invest where you just go, oh, text this person and this person, quick text intro, boom, done. And then the value that's being created is co-created by the two people you introduce. You're not having to be in the middle of it, you know, dedicating time, energy, effort, et cetera. I love this. Can you talk about something you mentioned earlier and you, you mentioned it kind of quick, but some of our listeners like me might have caught it. And that was sunk cost fallacy. I believe if I'm saying it correctly. Can you explain what that is and how it applied to you? And, and I think that people... That's something that for them keeps them in bad relationships. It keeps them in bad jobs, keeps them bad a lot of things. Yeah. Did you say, I think I'm saying that correct? Did you just ask me how to pronounce sunk cost fallacy? It's a term that I don't use. It's not part of my, my vocabulary is not as extensive as yours, Jordan. Oh, got it. Yeah, you're right. I did go to a fine institution of higher education. Exactly. Um, exactly. <laughs> I and I went to De Anza Junior College, followed by some other junior college. And then I decided to go sell knives. So go ahead. <laughs> Got it. Wait, is that out here, De Anza? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In uh, Los Altos Hills, out east of or west of San Jose. Yeah, south of San Francisco. Yeah, west of San Jose. 
I forgot you lived up here. Yeah, me and John Berghoff took the same class schedule and carpooled to school every day. Nice. Sounds like a winning situation. And then you're like, you know what? No, I'm just going to go into sales, which is more like one of the most lucrative things you can do that requires absolutely no formal education whatsoever. Yeah, exactly. Very true. So sunk cost fallacy, I think, is something that stops a lot of us. And in my case, it meant I can't leave the art of charm because I put so much into it over 10 and a half years. But what was when I asked myself, what was on the other side? What was I going to get from my sunk cost? investment, it didn't make any sense. It's like, well, if I stay long enough and we really make it big, then what? I have a lot of money in the same problems with the same team that I'm with now. And, oh, well, you know, I can afford to pay my team more and they won't be so miserable working here. Well, that's unlikely to be the case, right? So it becomes kind of a problem when you look at it that way. And so we're easy, we can really easily spot this fallacy by looking at the reason we're not doing something. And if the reason is ever, well, I've already put so much into it so far, if that's one of the first things that comes to mind, then you're a victim of sunk cost fallacy, which is the willingness to continue doing something that is returning a non-ideal or suboptimal outcome because you've already put in energy, resources, emotions, whatever, finances, whatever. And the problem there is, you're never really going to fix the problem because generally we're starting, if we, so for, for example, if you run a business and you don't like it and you're sticking with it because you've run that business for a long time, there's a good chance this is some cost fallacy. So if you try to change the business, but there's other forces inside that business resisting those changes like business partners or whatever, you might stay because you think, but I've been doing this for so long, I can't quit now. Because part of the reason is you don't see that what you've built you can bring with you. You don't see your network. You don't see your relationships. You don't see the talent and skill set that you've built. You don't see the experience that you have under your belt. You just see, but I spent so much time building traffic for this website and building an email list and da da da. You can rebuild all of that stuff. But in the moment, you tend, or we, one, tends to look at our sunk cost and go, it's impossible. It took me 11 and a half years. I'm never going to be able to do it again. Doing something the first time is always harder than doing it the second time. And so sunk cost fallacy will stop a lot of entrepreneurs from doing something they really love. And you see it all the time. People staying in relationships they're not supposed to be in. People staying in businesses they're not supposed to be in. People not exiting career tracks because, oh, well, I've been in the military for X number of years. The only time that this kind of thing works is if you're moving towards something that is very concrete and has a certain type of guarantee. So if you're in the military or public service for nine years and there's a pension after 10 years, sure, stay in for another year, you have that investment made, it'll pay off dividends later, it's guaranteed because that's in the contract, right? Yeah. However, if you're in a business that you run and well, I've been doing it for 11 and a half years and even though I don't like it now, dot, 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 we might be better off later, at which point we might be able to fix these endemic problems, at which point I might be happier. No, that's not a good reason to stay. That's a fear-based sunk cost fallacy maneuver. Whereas yeah. the other one is sort of benefit-based, and I'm sort of winging this definition as I go along here, this dichotomy, <laughs> right? So, so benefit-based is in a year, I'm going to get this. I can retire and I'm gonna have a, this guaranteed income which will allow me to take more risk in my solopreneur venture because I'll have this you know, police pension or something like that. That's great. But if you're just sort of hoping that at some nebulous point in the future, all the problems are going to get fixed because maybe some other stuff is going to happen, that is a problem. And that is sunk cost fallacy scaring you into staying where you are. 
Got it. So the, the solution is make the courageous choice. How would you break down the solution? I would say you have to look at what you're trying to achieve and whether or not it's benefit-based or fear-based. And if it's fear-based, then chances are you're going you're gonna to have to go. Because you really have to think about all these different types of fears. Like, oh my God, I've done it for 10 and a half years. I can't build it again. Are you sure? How do you know you can't build it again? Well, it took a long time the first time. Or being in a relationship, right? What if I never find somebody else? What if I'm alone forever and no one ever loves me again? And Right. Right. And it's like, okay, well, you're afraid of that. So you're willing to put up with this stuff that's making you unhappy because you think you might be more unhappy if you're lonely forever. (laughs) <laughs> the odds of that are pretty low, yeah. right? And it might seem higher in your head because your brain is designed to avoid loss. Yeah. And that's really what this is, is loss aversion. Our brains are really, really, really designed to avoid loss and pain. Yeah. And so if we think, oh, this thing that if I let it go and focus on this other direction, I might end up directionless for a while. And that's scary. That's the unknown. That's uncertainty. That's a problem. But I understand. But once we realize that uncertainty is actually a good thing because it is part of life and it's a natural part of getting outside your comfort zone and growing and really focusing on what you do want rather than trying to run away or fix a problem in an organization, especially if the organization doesn't want to fix the problem or people in the organization don't want to fix the problem, then you have to leave. And I understand that sunk cost fallacy will play a role, but just realize it is your brain's, it's your brain's evolved trickery to keep you from doing something bad, like wandering away from your village and trying to find something on your own. We don't have to worry about this stuff as much anymore because leaving a company that you don't like is not going to kill you anymore. Leaving a relationship that's unhealthy for you is not going to be a death sentence like it would have been a long, long time ago. Leaving a family that's abusive to you is not going to ensure that you die a slow, painful death out in the cold, right? It just feels that way because our brains are evolved as such. But now we can find healthier tribes to be in pretty much like that. We can start businesses that make us feel better immediately, even if the benefits don't come right away. It's just that we're scared to do that because our brains aren't evolved to think, well, you know, I have a lot of career tracks I could pursue. That wasn't something that evolved along with us. So it's it's evolutionary pressure deciding that you're probably going to die if you try something new, but that's no longer the case. Yeah, we can now swipe left or right and find the love of our life, right? That's right. You never know. <laughs> hey, so let's kind of wrap up the last, we had about 10 minutes here. Let's do it with kind of two things in terms of, you know, if someone is listening and they want to start a podcast or that, you know, they've thought about it or maybe they haven't, you know, why would they start a podcast? And then how do you build a phenomenal, you know, you were the host of one of the greatest podcasts ever. And that was because of you. That was you were the brand, you were the voice, right? And now you are simply going to build something bigger and better with the Jordan Harbinger show. So you can kind of, as you're explaining kind of how to become a phenomenal podcaster, uh, how to build a podcast, combining that with what you're actually doing at real time. Obviously, it's a little different if someone's never done it, you're doing it for the second time. But yeah, just I'd love for you to hit podcasting and and anything you think is of value for anybody listening that might want to uh, start their own podcast. And this is actually for me, I'm I'm taking notes. How the hell do I get good at this? (laughs) Yeah, you know, this is something that a lot of people ask me and I'm, I'm really passionate about this because I think that in a world where, in a world where podcasts (laughs) are really commoditized because everyone's like, okay, my plan is I'm going to interview entrepreneurs that blah, blah, blah. It's like, wait, what? Everyone's doing this. So the only (laughs) way to create something that's unique is to either outwork everyone, be more talented than everyone, or have better connections than everyone. 
So, and you have to have some measure of those three, right? Because there's a lot of people that start shows because they have really good connections and they just do pretty crappy interviews with famous people. Yeah. And then there's a lot of people that try to lean on their talent and then other people who are working hard at their skills just eclipse them over a certain period of time. What's that sort of, what's that phrase, Hal? It's like talent doesn't work or hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work. Is that what it is? I think you nailed it or got it completely wrong. One of the two. One of the two. (laughs) Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work. And I'm pretty sure it's something like that. And so what I do on the Jordan Harbinger show is I know that I'm not the most naturally gifted interviewer. You know, I spent 11 and a half years getting good at it. Yeah. So people will say, oh, well, you're naturally good at it. I was talking with Cal Fussman. He's like, you are naturally good at this. And I was like, I've been doing this for over a decade. He's like, okay, you're good at this. Maybe it's not natural. <laughs> so, but it's true, right? And I will outwork everyone. So if I know there are other interviewers that have had the same guest and those interviewers are good or bad, I don't really care. I read the entire book from that guest and then I watch all their videos and their TED talk and their Google talk and all that stuff. And I talk to, you know, I'll talk to their friends uh, if I know some of them and ask for personal anecdotes and things like that. And the reason I do that is because I know that I have to outwork all of the other interviewers as well as having a good interview skill set and having booked this high quality guest. And so I encourage people to do that. And, and people go, what? That's going to take forever. Yeah. Don't do something if you're not willing to do it right. Yeah. There's a ton of people that are like, no, here's what I'm going to do. Five minute interviews with influencers. It's going to be 10 <laughs> times a day and da, 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 and I'm just going to wing it. And I'm going to ask them the same questions. And I'm like, great. So go ahead and do that. And don't be surprised when it doesn't work. Because here's the thing. A lot of really gifted marketers have jumped into the podcasting space and their problem is retention. Because people will listen and go, ah, the first episode is only okay. The second episode, not so good. Third episode, I got a couple nuggets. I'm unsubscribing because there's a lot of competition out there. So you have to be really careful because you can market the crap out of something that has great guests and people can go, nah, next. And you'll never get that person back. So you have this retention problem. And that retention problem can become a real issue for you because you keep pouring sand or fuel into the top of the funnel and they keep on falling out the bottom. You know, you're pouring water into a bucket with holes in the bottom. So what we do on the Jordan Harbinger show is we do study the thoughts and actions of those brilliant people. We ask them great questions because I've done a ton of prep. My team's done a ton of prep. And we do those worksheets to make sure that everybody who's listening finds something to take away from each episode of the show. That requires extra work, you know, and we have some great guests on the show as well. And so this all, we're going pedal to the metal, really. Uh, foot on the gas in every single silo of this because I know that as as much of the skill as I've built over the last 10 and a half years, I still have to outwork everybody. you know. And as much as I'm willing to outwork everybody and rely on some of the skills I built over the last few years, people still want to hear from great guests. So I'm not going to turn somebody, you know, I'm not going to rest on my laurels as far as booking because uh, I don't want to do that either. So I'm willing to just outwork everyone in every area, whether that means over prepare or not not over preparing there's no such thing whether that means preparing more than everybody else or making sure that my skill set is in top shape you know i've got a voice coach for my voice i've got presentation coaches for my presentation i've got broadcasting coaches to help work on the presentation of the show i've got production coaches to help me and my producer make sure that we're working with the best audio quality and files we have audio engineers to make sure the audio is really good like every piece of the show we're willing to work on 
more than anyone else. Because that way, if I meet somebody who's got more talent than me naturally, or is just somehow getting lucky and producing some really good stuff here and there, I'm still able to make my show, The Jordan Arbiter Show, better because I just put in more work. And so that's my competitive advantage is I will just die on the treadmill. You know, I will outwork anyone. You just inspired me. Yeah, because like I don't naturally prepare. I just tend to, you know, and that's, I mean, I guess it's an excuse, but I do wing things. I think for me, it's, I have so many things going on. I've got, you know, three books I'm writing right now and then I've got the movie and then, right. And so podcasting is just one of the things. And so it's kind of like looking at my schedule going, oh, okay, I'm interviewing Jordan today. All right, 15 minutes before, go to his website, see what's going on, right? Uh And so, no, you just inspired me, dude, to up my game. And I just wrote, in fact, I will, to my entire audience and you, I I wrote this little note on a post-it, important, if I'm going to podcast, commit to being excellent by prepping, by studying guests, crafting unique questions, et cetera. Um, So, man, man, thank you. You just uh, improved the quality of the Achieve Your Goals podcast from here on out. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And I, I think... Look, not everyone has to be sort of an all-star interview host, but I'm, I don't know how you feel about it, but I just don't see the point in doing something and then doing it mediocre or poorly. Not that you're doing that with the show, but I mean, people go, oh, why aren't you on Snapchat? Because it seems like the worst thing ever. That's why. <laughs> oh, well, you can just have an account there and do like an occasional thing just to keep people engaged. Why am I going to make a mediocre or bad first impression or regular impression on people Shouldn't I just have, it, it, that's worse than no impression. Yeah. No, and that's yeah, why, right. you know, people go, why don't you have a YouTube channel? I do, by the way. And I put clips of videoed interviews up there. But people go, oh, you should just film everything. Well, no, the amount of work that it would take to make that world class, yeah, instead sure. of just like, oh, I filmed this on my phone, would be enormous. And when you look at guys like Tom Bilyeu, who spend millions of dollars, much of that is their cost of filming the show in that custom studio that they built for the purpose. If if those shows were just audio only, he would save like a million dollars a year, literally. Hmm. But he doesn't because he wants that to be part of the platform. That's why I focus on certain things because I know I can crush this certain element of presentation. And then if I get an offer from NBC to do the Jordan Harbinger show on that network, they're gonna take care of taking that to the next level in terms of video and things like that. I'm not gonna worry about it. I want to be the best in class. And that is a pursuit. That's a gold medalist pursuit. You have to be willing to drill things that nobody else cares about. Like um, one of my friends is a guitar player and he was the best jazz guitarist in the state at one point. And he would walk, I used to live with this guy in college and he would walk around the apartment and he would just be playing these weird riff things over and over. And I'm like, what are you doing? And he goes, these are really complicated finger movements I'm just doing the hard stuff. And I was like, why don't you just play songs? And he's like, because there's only one or two of these in a song. I want to be able to do a ton of these in every song because nobody else can do it. So he'd walk around doing just the hard stuff all the time. And I thought, wow, that's a really good way to get really awesome at something. So I will do vocal warmups and exercises and project this and do this particular thing. And no hosts are doing this because it's boring. And the measure of the impact on the show to them is not as fun as like getting a cool guest that's a celebrity. Yeah. But that's kind of just the fun part. It's kind of like saying, hey, you know what? I want to play football. And everyone's like, cool, yeah, let's go toss the pigskin around. No, 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 no. I want to play in the NFL. Well, you better start lifting weights. Nah, that sounds boring. I'm just going to go be a quarterback for the Bills. (laughs) Well, I don't think that's how it works. No, 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 no. You don't understand. I'm special. All right, cool. Nobody would ever do that. Nobody in their right mind would ever do that, right? Because it's so ridiculous. But there's a million people out there that are like, as evidenced by the number of podcasts and iTunes, that think it's okay to just be like, I'm a talk show host now. 
okay, cool. And I'm fine with that. I'm fine with delving into creativity and I encourage people to do that stuff and take risk. But when those people go, I don't understand why I don't have listeners, why I don't have an audience, it's because you haven't earned it. And every minute of the audience's time on the Jordan Harbinger show, we earn every single minute. So if you're just thinking like, oh, I'm entitled to an audience because I turned on the microphone and I uploaded this file, that is not how you build a great following of rabid fans. Yeah, I love that commitment to excellence and it's so rare. And even like you mentioned Snapchat, I think that a little bonus tip that I can extract from what you just shared is focusing on quality over quantity. And the, you know, like social media is a great example for entrepreneurs, especially. They feel like they have to be on every single platform unless you like, you know, I've, I'm on multiple platforms with my team, but Facebook's my main platform and I'm not on Snapchat and I'm not on, you know, a lot of the platforms. But I think that's a great point is for entrepreneurs, pick one platform, pick one, you know, being pod, like for me, I guess what you are to podcasting, I would say, I, you know, I kind of am to writing in terms of my book, like Miracle Morning. I, people ask me about it and I tell them, I literally, I go every sentence I wrote. I would ask myself, what's the reader going to, or every like par- sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph, what's the reader going to think, feel, expect, be concerned about after this sentence or this paragraph? And then how do I lead into the next one in a way that manages their emotions from page one until page 165 or whatever it is? So yeah, I just, I'm trying to make myself feel better since I don't, I don't put, <laughs> I don't put as much energy in my podcast as I should. You do. No, but when I was on your podcast, I was like, damn, I was like, Jordan is so good. When you interviewed me the first time, I was like, he's so freaking good. But, uh, but I love what you just peeled back the curtain and, and dude, you're so good because you freaking work at it. You've got coaches, you've got, you know, I mean, and you've been working at it like that for 10 years. So I commend you for that commitment to excellence, buddy. Thank you. Thank you, man. Yeah. The Jordan Harbinger show is where I'm at now. And I would love it if people would come check us out. Even if you were a fan of the old show, The Art of Charm, come check us out. If you weren't a fan of the old show, The Art of Charm, come check us out. We do what I think is some of the best on the interwebs. And we yeah. got some great stuff in the pipeline. And I promise every minute of your attention will be earned and you will walk away a better man or woman for listening. That's the idea. Yeah. And there's only a small part of me that selfishly is like, wait, if they subscribe to Jordan's show, they're going to realize how good a podcast could be and they might unsubscribe from <laughs> the show. I'm kidding. It's a circle of life, Hal. A circle of life. Awesome. Well, hey, man, I love and appreciate you, brother. And glad I could have you on. Love talking to you today, man. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. And for you, Achieve Your Goals podcast listeners, I love and appreciate you even a little more than Jordan. And thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Achieve Your Goals podcast. Until next time, I always say until next time, Jordan, that I don't have like a, th- I don't have like a tagline. <laughs> just, you gotta have a tagline. I just until say until next, next time. time and then I like, I just say whatever I go, uh, make it a great day. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay. No, bye. no, until, here you go. Until next time, add as much value as you possibly can to the lives of every person you come in contact with. And that will be the key to achieving your goals. I'll talk to you soon, everybody. Take care. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the Achieve Your Goals podcast and to get access to today's show notes, transcript, and exclusive content from Hal Elrod, visit halelrod.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Achieve Your Goals podcast. 